We're going into the Old Testament again this morning. What I'm finding out by preaching in the Old Testament is that people never change, hearts have never changed, God has never changed. God was just as concerned about his people then as he is now. And there was only one method to get across his thoughts to the people, and that was by preaching. He had to have a messenger. So this morning, we're going to just go back into Jeremiah, who was one of his great messengers, and find the message that he wanted Jeremiah to speak and to tell to the people. And at the same time as he's talking to Jeremiah, he's going to tell Jeremiah about the hearts of this people, what they're thinking, how they're living, what they're doing. So turn to Jeremiah 5. And we're going to start with verse 20. Jeremiah 5 and 20. He says to Jeremiah, Now declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah, saying, Now why Jacob and Judah? Well, you see, Israel was divided into two segments now. And Jacob is Israel. Remember, Jacob's name was turned to Israel. It was changed to Israel, I mean. So there was Israel and Judah. And Israel had two nations and Judah had ten. So, declare it to everybody. But he uses Jacob's name instead of Israel. The surplanter. The deceitful one. Now, let's see what he wants them to know. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will ye not tremble at my presence, which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass it? And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail? Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it? But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. And neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withholden good things from you. For among my people are found wicked men, They lay wait as he that setteth snares, and they set a trap, and they catch men. As a cage is is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they are become great, and waxen rich. They are waxen fat. They shine. Yea, they overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. And the right of the needy, do they not judge? Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this, 
a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? Let's bow our heads. Father, we've just read a portion of thy word. As thou didst inform thy messenger, thy servant, about the duty of speaking to thy people, and yet the reception that thy people will give to thy messenger. Oh, how we see that the hearts of people have not changed. How they revolt, how they rebel more and more. And we thank thee that within within thy people thou hast a people that are called elect. That they will hear from out of a multitude will come one here and one there. And they will hear and they will come to Christ. We pray this morning that this be a somber and a sober hour. That thou will instruct our hearts and teach us and touch the hearts of those that need to be awakened and deliver those that have been in bondage long enough and calling unto thee. There are some need to be delivered this day. But we pray that thou will bless everything that's said this morning, every song that's sung, and our conversation through the day. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we see here, first of all, that God is not ignorant of what goes on in any home or in any heart. He says, first of all, there are people which have eyes and see not, and they have ears and they hear not. And you say, did God do that? Well, he controls it. He knows about it. But the blame goes upon the people. It's in verse 23, but this people hath a revolting and a rebelling heart. God knows those hearts. And this is the hearts of, he calls them his people. And then about people becoming rich and prospering. As if the Lord doesn't know what's going on and how they obtain their riches. They obtain them by deceit. They obtain them by being covetous and by cheating. He says, For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait, they set snares, they set traps, they catch men. As the cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. And therefore they become great and wax and rich. You think that deceit doesn't have its rewards? I guess it does. The Lord says, Therefore... They've waxen rich. They prosper. Oh, but what's the end? Well, we haven't come to that yet. But let's go to verse 21. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Let's turn to our first scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Because this always describes what our Lord has just described. The natural man. 
The natural man is the person that lives next door to you, across the street, down the street, the one you work for, the one at the bank, the one at the school, the one who's down in the police station, the judges, normal, natural human beings. There are exceptions, always exceptions. There's even been kings who have been exceptions and statesmen. We have Daniel and Davids and Josephs and people in great and high places. God always has his exceptions. But the normal, natural man is like this. He receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So that means with all of the education that you can afford, and you can't afford a heck of a lot these days because it's expensive, but as much as you can afford, you cannot find out God by learning. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. What's that mean? The Spirit of God has got to give you the interpretation of everything. has got to teach you. That's the natural man, and our Lord is calling his own people by that handle here today. They have eyes, see not, they have ears that hear not. Well, what good are they? Well, they learn everything else under the sun. But it's the eyes and ears of the understanding. It's that heart that has to be opened, the inside understanding. We talked about it in our lesson before. Now also, let's turn to Romans 9.18, and we'll see that God says that he's in charge. That even though the people have ears that hear not and eyes that see not, they're held responsible, but he says, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he'll have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Now, it seems like there's a lot more people hardened than there are softened. You just got to look around you. Why isn't our church full? Because people don't care to hear about God's rules, about God's word, about their lives and about their heart and the things that God has prepared for them that love him. They're not interested in that. You know why? The Bible says it's foolishness. Foolishness to them. Just plain foolishness. Verse 22 says, our Lord is going to, to try to reason with their, their, their sense of, of knowing things that they can see like he's going to talk now about the seashore. That there's a beach that's nothing but sand. That's fine, fine stone. And the Lord's going to tell you why it's there. He's, he's reasoning with his people. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord, and will you not tremble at my presence? 
you who are so little, inconspicuous, likened to grasshoppers in the scripture. Now he's going to talk about the oceans, the vastness of an ocean, the mightiness of the, the sea. He said, you ought to tremble at my presence because I have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it. And though the waves thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. These vast bodies of water are held right where they are by the seashore. And God has said, that's it. That's your bounds. This is what holds the sea where it is. I know we have hurricanes and big storms and sometimes they come over, but they come right back. The sea has to come right back because it has a perpetual decree. Thou shalt go no further. Now, if our Lord controls the seas and the lakes and what have you, tremendous bodies of water, ought not the sinner bow before him? Ought not they tremble before him? The Lord's reasoning with him. You ought to tremble before me. But this people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. The Lord's people... Israel, Judah, the ones that have the laws, that live within the land. Well, Jeremiah has a commentary on that too. Jeremiah 17, 9, he knows why. The Lord's going to explain it to him a little bit later again. Why is that heart revolting? Why is it rebellious? Well, because, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That question means who among mankind can know another one's heart? None. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. That heart doesn't change. Those hearts of human beings haven't changed from that day to this. And the heart of that beautiful young child that you have is deceitful and desperately wicked. And as it grows older, those characteristics are going to develop more and more. And except by God's grace, restraining grace, you have problems. It's only by God's restraining grace that we're able to live peaceably, that we're able to even worship here. But it's not like that in all parts of the, all parts of the world. But the problem lies within that human heart. And God gives us so much instruction concerning it that there's really not, you don't have an excuse as to why you don't come to the Lord. 
Now he's going to reason again in verse 24. Now neither say they in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain both the former and the latter in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Well, God had done that. He'd give them rain when they needed it and held it up in the harvest when they didn't need it. But then things changed. It rained in the harvest. And he said, your iniquities have turned away these things. That's why it's not like that anymore. And your sins have withholden good things from you. Now our Lord is saying there that they won't reason. Look at Isaiah 118. Isaiah 118, the Lord's talking to his people. He says, come now, let us reason together. That's, that's nice. That's as gentle and kind of invitation as you'll ever get from anybody. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now why is it that people don't want to reason. The Lord says, neither say they in their heart. They don't want to reason. Well, what does God want to reason about? He wants to reason about your sin. He don't want to reason about your education, about your family, about your children, your job. You see, those, those are the things uppermost in people's minds. Our Lord says, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be scarlet. Let's talk about your sins. Though they be, they shall be as white as wool. No, they be red like crimson. They shall be as wool. Oh, he's talking about a redeemer. He's talking about a way to have sins forgiven. And that's all the Lord's interested in. And that's what the sinner should be interested in. And everybody should be interested in. How do I get my sins forgiven? How can I be at peace with God? That's what we're here for, to tell you about it. Then verse 25 says, One of the reasons why you don't get these good things anymore is your iniquities have turned away these things. And your sins have withholding good things from you. Turn to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. And it's spelled out in even clearer words than that. Now the Lord doesn't change. He's the same. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, and neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. The Lord can save like he did at any time. It hasn't changed. He'll save sinners that cry unto him. In his ear, you think he can't hear your prayers? He hears every single murmur of the heart. But something has come between. Why is it that they, it seems to you that he doesn't hear? And why is it it seems to you he doesn't save? Be, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you and he will not hear. God is interested in you and your sin life. We are sinners by nature. We're sinners by practice. 
And sinners go to hell because they sin, not because God ever sends anyone there. The only interruption in a person's life is when God quickens and awakens the heart and begins to lead them to Christ. That's the only interruption God has in sinners' lives. The rich go to hell and the wicked go to hell without warning. All God has to do for a sinner to go to hell is to leave them absolutely alone. Don't do anything with them. Just let them have their free will and their free reign. And they will run to hell. No knowledge, no instruction from God. No Holy Spirit to direct the human heart. Now in verse 26, our Lord begins to tell you about people that make it in this life. When this life is the only heaven that they have. And he doesn't disturb an awful lot of them. It's not that he don't know about them. It's not that every crook, every cheater, every false prophet, every person in a public office who's crooked or everybody in business, it's not that our Lord doesn't know absolutely everything about them. It's that he just lets them alone. For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that setteth snares. They set a trap, they catch men. Could he do away with them? Sure. Every time they would do it, he could buy his power just to eliminate them. As the cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Deceit for who? Everybody. Husbands and wives cheating on each other. Business partners cheating on each other. Sons and daughters in conflict with interest in the home. But look what happens. Therefore, they become great and waxen rich. You know, the richest and the most famous people in this country are the most miserable. Their lives are terrible. If you get one of the, the, the better publications of the day at your grocery store, you can see the lives of your favorites on the front page almost every day. With some ridiculous thing going on, three, four marriages, three, four love affairs, Three or four illegitimate children, three or four this thing and the other. They're rich. They made it. They're actresses. They're actors. They're business people. But God has left them alone. Oh, some of them are pretending to religion. There's a big born again thing going now out there out west. Yeah, we're all born again. Oh, yeah, sure. They're born again about as much as Sammy Davis Jr. is a Jew. Frank Sinatra is a Jew. They all wanted to be Jews for some reason. I don't know why. Because the Jews have been the greatest of the comedians, the greatest of the actors. The Jewish people have been the greatest in almost every field of entertainment there is. Not only that, they hold the controlling interest in all the banks in the world. God's people have been gifted. But these particular individual gifted ones, God has left alone. Their gifts have worked out for them only to take them to hell. Verse 28, they're waxing fat. 
They shine, yea, they're stars, uh huh. They overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper, and the right of the needy do they not judge. That's confusing to some people. Some of God's humblest people have wondered about that. Why do the wicked prosper? Well, I'm going to share it with you. Turn to Psalm 73. Here was a fellow saying, I just don't understand. If God is God and he knows what's going on, why do the wicked prosper? Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Well, he's going to admit to that. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. What was the reason for his backsliding? He says, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there, there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. Oh, they go down to their deathbed, oh, give to my children this and that, and I bequeath this, and I'm going to heaven, aren't you, and all this. They're, they're firm. They are not in trouble as other men, and neither are they plagued like other men. Everything seems to go beautiful in their lives. And therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Somebody has to be stepped on or obliterated, fine, away with them. They're proud and haughty. Their eyes stand out with fatness, and they have more than the heart could wish. Johnny was telling us about this friend of his over here. He's got so much money, they don't know what to do with it. Buying expensive horses and dogs and property and this thing and the other. And they, they got so much they don't know what to do with it. They have more than heart could wish. They're corrupt. Speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. They have no need of God. They don't worship God. They don't give of their means. None of them tithe. They don't give God back anything. And God lets them alone. Let them prosper. And there his, therefore his people return hither. And waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Certainly I've done this thing and that thing contrary to his word, contrary to Christian belief. I've robbed, I've cheated, I've stole, I've committed, stole, I've committed adultery, I've done this, I've done that, and look at me, look what I've got. Does God know? Is there a God that knows? Does he have knowledge if he even exists? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. 
For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I'll speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful to me. Oh, I can't figure it out. How my wicked neighbor, so rotten, how he can have so much and be so happy. I can't figure it out. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Their riches are like an ice pond. Their passions and their lust are like ice or a banana peel under their feet. Surely thou hast set them in slippery places with everything that they have. Oh, their happiness, their pleasure, their prosperity, their leisure, their recreation, their abilities, their education. All of these are slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. They'll slide into hell without a moment's notice. How are they brought unto desolation as in a moment? And they are utterly consumed with terrors. Now Asaph is beginning to see that as soon as the wicked closes his eyes in death, he's carried away by the demon spirits into hell. Terror, confusion, blackness, utter despondency. They were the rich. They prospered. As a dream when one awakeneth, so, O Lord, when thou awakenest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my veins, and so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee because I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know, Lord, that you just let them alone. You let them have it. And then Aesop finishes up by saying, verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon earth that I desire beside thee. You see, he's rich and didn't know it. He's as rich as any man that ever walked upon the face of the earth and didn't know it. He had prosperity and pleasure at his fingertips and didn't know it. Let me get back here to Jeremiah 7, see if we can finish. Jeremiah 5. So, verse 29 says, Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Yeah. All those things are slippery places. They will lose their balance. They will slip and fall into hell. Now, verse 31, and as we finish this little thing in Jeremiah 5, is so true to life today 
it was positively true to life then, and it's always been this way. And that's why God has ordained the preaching of the gospel to save them that believe, because very few are going to listen. And then out of the few who listen, very few are going to hear. And it's going to be one here and one there whom the Lord will set his spirit upon. But look at verse 31. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. That's a terrible condition. At least from the prophets you'd expect something godly. Because they wouldn't have been prophets except you would think that God had sent them or made them so. God very clearly knows the false prophets. And in this case, he didn't have any true ones except Jeremiah and a few others scattered here and there. But for the most part, those that did the preaching, those that did the prophesying, prophesied falsely, gave bad information, represented God wrong, told lies about people's normal, natural condition, made salvation easy. There's another time over there says they say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. God's angry with a message like that. You know, telling people, peace, peace, when their heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, you've got to tell them to get right with God. And then there's another body of religious people here, the priest. Bear rule by their means. Where do we have priests today in our big Catholic church? It isn't even Christian. There's no such thing as a priesthood in Christianity today. That's an old carryover from the Jewish religion. There isn't even supposed to be a priest wearing those long black robes and white collars and being holier than the other person. That all ended. The Jewish priesthood is finished. This is a day of Gentile grace when the Lord has ordained preachers. That's all. Simple preachers or elders. Peter called himself an elder, not a pope, an elder. And we see the priests bearing rule. And when they rule, there's very few that ever escape. And those that escape know the grace of God in their life. I was once one of them, and the Lord delivered me. Oh, thank you, Lord, for opening my understanding, opening my heart, showing me that I'm a lost sinner and need to come to Christ. There's no lost sinners in the Catholic religion. They're all fine. They're all doing great. I don't make a difference who it is, whether it was Hitler, Mussolini, the Kennedys, as long as you're part of the church, you're okay. Now, you might have to spend a few thousand years in purgatory, give or take a thousand either way, 
But by and by, things will be great because the church going to take care of you. You're taking care of the church now. Just believe what we say. Don't let it worry you. Everything's going to be fine. Don't let these preachers out there talking about the Bible and about being born again. Don't let them bother you. Because the church is older than they are. church goes way back to the apostles. It's the priest-bearing rule. It's in my own family. And thank the Lord he's broken it in a few members of the family. But it still exists. It's just as strong in some parts as it's always been. Here's the sad part now. That's a bad part, but here's the sad part. And my people love to have it so. They love to listen to lies. They love the easy way of religion. They love this thing about make a decision, come be saved, and go out and do your work, join the church. That's all great. The same ones love to have the priest to bear rule over them. Catholics wouldn't change their position for anything. I gave an invocation and a benediction the other day at school for a program they had, and this little, oh, all kinds of comments afterward, you know. They're, they're amusing, the comments, because most of these kids are Catholic. One of them said, boy, you had, a, you had a pretty talk. Another one says, that was a good speech. Another one says, that was a good story you had. She says, uh, what religion are you? I said, a Baptist, but it can be anything you want, huh? And she says, well, that's what I thought, she says, because I'm Catholic and you touch my heart. I thought, proud to be a Catholic. But there's a heart can be touched. If only they would hear the preaching. If only the Holy Spirit would lead them to where they could hear. Then they would have an opportunity to hear and be saved. If they don't hear and if they don't read, they're never going to be saved. I don't care who they are. God has a way and a means of saving people. And one of the ways that he describes very clearly in 1 Corinthians and by the foolishness of preaching, God has ordained to save them that believe. So preaching is one means, the primary means. They can be saved if they read God's word. If the Holy Spirit opens their heart to just reading the word. They can be saved. But I thought that was as interesting as anything I had heard. I'm a Catholic, but you touched my heart. Now, she, she doesn't know that I didn't touch anything. But if God the Spirit touched her heart in anything, maybe there will come a time when she'll receive a tape or maybe want to know more. I don't know. There was another Catholic lady, substitute teacher, said, Mr. Heigl, that was a wonderful, wonderful prayer. I wish you had it written down so I could have it. Well, I, I didn't have it available. So I gave her a tape. I said, here, you can hear me pray and you can hear me preach too. She said, great. So uh, we'll be listening to hear what she, <laughs> next time she comes to school. So I give these tapes out from time to time. We had a dance review. People were there the other night. Fella said, uh, uh, oh, I told him I was a minister now. I had a church myself. He said, oh, that's good. He said, uh, and it was a, a Wednesday night, and it was about 5 o'clock. I said, well, I hope this thing doesn't go on any longer because I've got to get over there and preach. He 
says, you got your message ready? I said, yeah, I sure do. He said, well, go give it to him. I said, yeah, well, someday I'll give you a tape and let you hear how I sound. He said, great, I would love it. Well, I happened to have a tape in my pocket, not in my pocket, but in my shop, you know, so I just went in and got him a tape and gave it to him. I don't know what the message was, but it doesn't make any difference because if you hear one of my messages, you've heard them all. I say the same thing over and over, but use a different text. I want to stir up hearts to let people know that they're a sinner and they have to come to Christ. That's our message. It's so important that every single individual know that they have an appointment with God. That one day, when it's all over, they're either on their way to heaven or they're on their way to hell. There's no middle ground. There's no, maybe you can make it up when you find out things after you die. No, you can't do that. It's all over once you stop breathing. But until a person stops breathing, God can work in that heart to save a soul. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this morning for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that thou hast such a joy in our hearts because of him. The scriptures say, fear not man, and that's man's biggest fear is other men. We ask this morning that thou will continue to let us preach freely, preach openly. That there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And our Lord Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. May we have learned more about him this morning. May we learn about him every time we meet together. 